I go in the water? By faith. I don't know how to swim. But you know how to swim. You will save me? Or you let me go in the water? He says he'll save me. So Pastor Tanmaya, Pastor Manna and I. Okay. The waters of baptism, 200 people come and get baptized here. This is a real dirty lake. People wash clothes, bathe, do everything in here. My feet is in real dirt. Sunk beyond my um, ankle. And But what's great about this is it's not how, how much the water is dirty. It's what's going to happen. People are going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God is expanding. Salvation has come. And we thank God for that. आप यीशु मसीह पर विश्वास करते हैं ना पूरे दिन से यीशु के पीछे चलेंगे प्रभु जी संग प्रभु इन तीनों को आशीष दे प्रभु तीन जन का आशीर्वाद दे हमें तीनों को पिता पुत्र पवित्र आत्मा के नाम से बपतिस्मा दे This is Finney Matthews again. Uh, I'm exhausted. It's very humid weather here. Um, just baptized, as you see, over 200 people in this pond, which was dirty and slick. And uh, what a glorious time, though. What it represented was people coming to Christ in this remote village. I had the privilege of being there. Now, there is no clean water here. All the water they have is here. They're washing their clothes. Right there. They're washing their clothes. And they are bathing with whatever water is here. And it's a stagnant pond water. But because I'm a guest, I'm going to go a distance to some place where they have a water pump. And I'll get cleaned up uh, after the baptism. Just want to show the great need of the, the people here. We need water wells. We need to care for all these children. A lot of needs out here. And hope uh, God will touch many hearts to come alongside helping. So that these people can be blessed not only spiritually, which is the greatest blessing, but we can care for the needs and show the love of Christ in a tangible way. Here we go now to the water pump. Budu, my new friend in Christ, usually people like me are not supposed to touch him, but he's my brother in the Lord. After the baptism, these are my clothes, and it would be nice to give it to Budu so he can have an extra one to change from the clothes. How are we all doing this morning?
that won't touch your heart, rip your heart apart, nothing would. And by the way, I have no dirt in my ankle. I was a special guest there, took some hotel soap and washed up all the dirt in my toenails. And one of the jokes I have when I come back from India, where I live in Mansfield, Texas right now is, hey folks, you would know when Finney returns from India, I go about five times a year, nearly three times a week. I used to go to a month at a time. The board is kind of, I'm getting old, so uh, they're getting going easier on me and uh, letting me go three weeks, three teenagers in the house. I need to get back soon, right? And... Um, I tell our folks out there, when you realize the pressure of water in your shower goes down, remember Finney is back. (laughs) Because I'm taking a long, hot shower. And folks, you may have heard it a million times, but you got to be reminded again and again. Your feet rest on the greatest nation on planet Earth. And you have no imagination how blessed, immensely blessed You are, and we are, and I am to be part of this nation. And the millions out there, 700 million people live in this kind of conditions, pond water. Many of them didn't have shirt when they came for baptism because they may have just two pairs of clothes. One, they're leaving for special occasion. No water well. You do see that little girl pumping that water? And um, because I was a special guest, pardon me, I cut through the line. And uh, they wanted me to you know, go back from that place, but uh, just tremendous ways to reach out. Not only when Jesus saw the multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion. May God give us tender hearts. And I'm glad God changed this selfish heart, made it tender. You know, this is not my first uh, job that I would seek for, going in dirty mud. But it's a calling. It's the calling of missions. And I wanted to give you a first taste and what a, what a privilege we have, folks, that we can make a difference in the lives of the 700 million people that are waiting to hear the gospel and not only waiting in spiritual darkness, worshiping 330 million gods and goddesses, but then we can go in a tangible way, practice the great commandment as we um, are commanded in God's word and reach out and help those communities out there, show them the love of Christ in a tangible way. We are so glad Green Pines is a big part of Alpha International Ministries. And uh, many of you sponsor our children individually as a class. And I want to express my sincere gratitude. And above all, my dear friend Jared, who's, uh, and his wife Julie and the family, they've been such a blessing to me. And uh, I appreciate your friendship. And uh, I know Sundays are very important. If you're a visitor here, please come back. This, you don't see me every Sunday. You got to hear the preacher here. God has really anointed and gifted him. Every time he comes to India, We may hold him back there and never send him back, but uh, we know we love the churches in America. We want the churches in America to be strong, and we appreciate uh, you sending him and many others that are coming in the future. We appreciate it so very much. Um, I've got so much time, and I've got so much to say. And um, so, and with my Indian accent, I may be rushing, and half of it you won't understand. But I'll try to be as slow as possible. I, I got a little southern touch, so you will like it, right? And uh, I don't speak any Texan, by the way. I'm learning it. It's a hard language. We have some resources in the back, as, um, as always. First of all, we have child sponsorship packages. These are children you saw out there living in those conditions, in hopeless situations. Their parents are farm laborers, make very little, 
and only during the monsoon season it rains, and then they have to go. These children have either have to beg, steal, or do whatever just to survive. You may think, uh, you know, it's discompassionate for parents to do that, but they have no way. You know, there's nothing passed along by the government. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't beg, you don't survive. And guess what, folks? In the, in the front lines of fighting terrorism, we got to take these children at risk. To take them in, when the world teaches them, and sometimes the Islamist people and the Hindus do a better job, take them in and love these poor children and teach them to hate America, teach them to hate the world. But we can bring these children in, into these homes and, uh, with these pastors in the Giving Children Hope program, and they can be taught God's word and to love the world like Christ did. And guess what? I was talking to Brother Jared yesterday. We were gung-ho in evangelism and church planning. But my mom called us one day and said, kids, what are you doing? And a mom is always right. What are you doing for the children of India? And we said, mom, don't you know we are already, I mean, it's a hard job to get all the things that we are doing get done and we are maxed for time and resources and, you know, there's so much to be done. And, and mom says, you got it wrong. And she said, you know what? The best leaders I raised was my children. Five boys and one girl. Three of us are in full-time ministry. Pray for the other two. They need a call from God. I mean, they are good Christians, but, uh, uh, but you know, they're, they're serving, and God has blessed them, and they help the ministry. She said, in desperate poverty, we've been hungry to bed. You know, many of you, you've heard our story many times. For others, it's new. We, my parents had left their southern comfort, which is more of a Christian safe haven with about 35% Christians, come all the way to the north with less than one half of 1% Christians, we were raised in this Hindu society, and uh, they trusted God for every meal. And many times we went hungry to bed all through this 18, 19 years of intense suffering. All they could have done was pick their bags and go back to southern India. They would have three decent meals. But God's call was greater upon their heart. And she always loved us. We rebelled a little bit. You know, you know, I, you know my story about how I went to college and, and uh, wanted to do things that would take us out of the poverty and we thought like what our parents did would never help us get to the dreams. And, and uh, we rebelled. But mom always kept an eagle eye on us. Loved us through this time. And, and, and encouraged us. And, and just kept doing what God had called to do. And we would have little food in the house. And she would cook for, you know, we, are, we had a big soup kitchen. People would come from the streets and come and eat. And uh, she continued to do that. And guess what? She said, we raised you. And you are the best leaders we have. We need to raise the next generation. And we hope by the year 2020, we will have 20,000 of these Hindu children who would otherwise worship idols. These young hearts, we can write the love of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus on their hearts. They will rise up and India would be changed. We want to have a permanent change, not temporary fix, but a permanent change. And with our education, these children don't have a future. And we want to see they stay in school. They are taught the word of God and they will grow up to change our world. So, we want you to pray with us. Many of you have already sponsored. If you want to take a package, make sure this you have a child's profile you can keep, but this has to be returned. Brother Matt is going to graciously be at the table. Please return this to him. And he, if you are computer savvy and you go on the internet all the time, make sure there's another piece of paper you can fill up and go online and fill up your information. I've got a couple of other pieces of information. Some of you are on a mailing list. These are free newsletters. And if you want to sign up after the service, you can do that for the newsletters. This is, we print it every quarterly and we send at least a couple of emails every month. We do more emails than hard copy now just because of the economic times that we are going through.
And this article is about the modern day heroes. People who face persecution, beating, prison, death. And are still faithful in preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is doing amazing things. Just like the days of Acts. Man healed from snake bite. When a snake bites, they don't have any hospital out there to take out the venom. They go to a witch doctor. And guess what? You know, their problems keep on increasing. And God uses our national church planners to pray over these people. They get healed miraculously. And they are one to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hundreds of churches being planted all across. Over 1,600 churches now. And these are the heroes. And we want you to read that. Read that with your children and encourage them. We just brought out one more brochure which gives you information about everything we do. Last time I came and showed you a PowerPoint. I'm not going to do it this time. But everything we do from evangelism to training pastors with the children's ministry, uh, community transformation, you know, there is something that every one of us can do. We have only one lifetime, folks. We have an opportunity. And I want you to at least take this copy. If you can do something, you can do it. But at least pray for this. My dad is in the villages, 71. You know, I wish he would play golf and not bother us. You know, he goes and baptizes over 160 people in the last two weeks. He picks up the phone and tells, Finney, well, we had a great time. We need to build a church here. We need uh, 20 bicycles in this village. We need to give this guy a motorcycle who goes to 16 villages. Starts on his bicycle Sunday morning. For three days he's on the road riding a bicycle going to 16 different places that the gospel is preached and a church is planted. Hey Finney, what are you guys doing? You gotta, you gotta help these people. And guess what? I'm here speaking for my dad and, <laughs> and uh, for the people of India. I'm so excited. He's my hero and uh, I'm, I'm glad he's not asking for a fishing rod or a golf club and nothing wrong with those things. Enjoy it. But he's asking tools for the gospel. No one should be kept from the gospel just because we cannot afford to give them a bicycle. No child should go hungry. We can provide a rooster and a chicken for $11. Help a widow who would end up being a prostitute because she's a curse to the society because her husband died because she brought bad luck into the, into the family, into the home. It's a different culture, superstition. And, and sometimes we have this great big thing. You know, we think everyone in the Eastern society does yoga and are peaceful and are happy. But it's not true. Yoga is only done by the rich. And uh, these people are left in the lurch. And we have the opportunity with the love and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything we do is connected with the church. I want you to take a look. There'll be someone outside. Please take this with you and read through this. God will touch your hearts. Do something. And guess what, folks? Everything else, and we are reminded again and again, everything else we have in this life, and God has blessed us, we need to enjoy it. Everything we have, houses, cars, everything we possess is going to go through fire, and the fire shall consume it. One day when you walk the streets of heaven, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute, and someone from India will come and say, thank you for giving me a bicycle. I could reach so many hundreds of people with a bicycle you gave me. We put up banners, if you dig a well... We put a stone in remembrance with your name on it so that others can be inspired and they can pray for you. But there is something every one of us can do tangibly right here, right now to touch and change our world. And I hope you will be a part of that. This morning, I have a very special message on my heart. I'm a preacher and I have to preach, right? Birds have to fly. Preachers have to preach. Um, I don't have a watch here. Is there a clock around here? I can't borrow someone's watch quickly. I don't want to go too much over. You know, I get, I, I go from here and I get started and I'm, I'm afraid that, uh, okay, I think I have about 20 minutes. Can I do this? A sermon and everything I want to say. 
Our final victory, 1998, was the heyday of persecution in India. The radical party, Hindus, not everyone is peaceful, by the way, and that's a wrong notion we have, in, in, you know, that only the Islamists are violent. Christians are being getting killed, put into prison, attacked by radical Hindus, which is a growing element in India. They say, we belong to the colonial era where British came and ruled India. And the Muslims, because the Muslims ruled India for over 500 years, British for over 150 years. So we are the agents of colonial America and colonial British. And, and we are going against the culture. Christians are traitors. You know, they are marked immediately. And the, co- uh, the cost they have to count is enormous. And that's why um, we were, in 1998, we were going through some of the hardest times. Um, uh, Pastor Shannon Scott and a team of pastors were there in India. And by the way, this does not happen every time. We've had over 500 Americans go on short-term missions with us. None of them got hurt. A couple of them got sick, but everyone was brought safely. So if you are getting ready to come with us or in the future on a mission trip, we take, don't take you to the bad place. We don't ask you to get into that dirty water, okay? I'll do the dirty job, but we want you to come and see the work and encourage us and, and be on the medical team, be with the children, love on them. What an opportunity. What an opportunity that we have. Can you say amen with me? What a great opportunity we have for Christians to be excited. 1998, at our conference, over 650 people came. We had only invited 500. And therefore, we had to rent a school to house 150 of our pastors. By Thursday night, we had a tremendous revival. We had a crusade in the evening, pastor's conference during the day, which we have switched, by the way, because of American people, whenever they come, you know, people from America, we want to keep that safe. So we have changed the strategy a little bit. But until 1998, we used to have a crusade. And what happened was the Hindus were watching. They were very angry that we were, over 98 people had come to Christ. And at 11 o'clock in the morning, now the school that we had rented for our pastors, where 150 pastors being about 100 people with sticks, chains, and bells, burst open the doors, dragged the pastors out of the bed, began to beat them and say, why can't you name, take the name of our 330 million gods and goddesses? Why are you so arrogant? You, take, you say, only Jesus is the way. Began to beat them, wanted them to na- take the name of their gods in their mouth, and they would not. My mother, listening to the news, went to help them. She would not send us because... She thought they would respect a woman more and not attack her. She went there with her brother. Her brother was attacked. And my mom began to plead with him. You worship cows. You don't kill cows. But why are you beating up these human beings made in the image of God? They would not listen to her. And they said, she's the leader. They took her. And my mom is a courageous woman. Has been a tremendous strength for the entire family. Even today, she's going out there preaching gospel in places we cannot go. Because she has a way of reaching people. And uh, somehow people are drawn to her. And my mom's picture is in here, by the way. She's one of the most beautiful ladies on planet Earth. And uh, just like my wife is, okay? Don't tell her, I just talked about my mom. <laughs> my mom was taken into the police station. It's rough. You never want to go there. Even if you get into trouble, you don't call the police in India. They're very corrupt, very rude, very abrupt. My mother was harassed the entire night. They wanted her to recant her faith. She said, you can cut my tongue, but I'll never take the name of another God in my mouth. My mouth belongs to Jesus. Well, I want to tell you folks, we are so blessed. We are so safe. But we have Christians, fellow Christians, born in the blood of Jesus Christ, going through such hardships. We were huddled together. The leaders got together. We were at a crossroads. And guess what? God brought this message into my heart. And that has encouraged me. And that should encourage every one of us. 
that we as children of God, we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the final victory. The God of Genesis is the God of Revelation. And I'm glad in this book, he tells me where I came from and where I'm headed. I don't have to be taught in a school where I came from. And you know, I don't want Darwin to tell me where I came from. I want to tell where I came from is creator, my God who created me. And who directs my future? Listen to me, folks. If nothing else, your future is secure in the hands of an almighty God. The question is, have you entrusted your future into his hands? The final victory belongs to us. I've got a long text, a long way to go, so bear with me if I go too fast. Right here, Acts chapter 4. The church in action. The church not sleeping. And I, you know, every church that I pastored in India, in America, wherever I go, I want, I want to start up the church. I want to encourage and build up the a bill of churches. And I want churches to look at any church history. You're going to look into the book of the Acts. That will show you how a church ought to be. And when I see the church, we, we think it's the building. When I say the church, it's the congregation of the redeemed. It's talking about you as individually and as corporately. We make the church, okay? You and I, when we walk out of this place, Greenhouse with the Great Commission, are going to represent Christ and this church and the kingdom. So, Let's see how the church, when they faced conflict, when they faced opposition, when they faced their battle, how they stood strong. And guess what, folks? We are living in economically, politically, locally, globally, tough times. There is a battle raging even in America. Battle for the future of America. What it was, what it's supposed to be, and where we are headed. And guess what, folks? By the end of the... End of this message. I want to challenge you. We can change the course. Not just by the political system. The church can. Each individual can. Because we receive that power from God. If in God we truly trust and we turn back, we can turn the course of our history as these people did. Acts chapter 4. And I forgot my reading glasses too, so bear with me. Now as I'm 45 and 44 and you know, Getting to 45. I'll borrow that. I'm so sorry about this, Brother Jared. He, th- he thinks I'm very young like I think. Let's see. That is fantastic, you know. Works like magic. What is the reason? And I'm going to read through and talk about it, okay? Because it's a long text. It's from chapter 4 of Acts until verse 31. And as they spoke to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people, watch this, taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of them who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Look at this, a church in action. But a church that stands for Jesus, stands for the truth, stands for the gospel, stands for the missions. Don't you think everything is going to be hunky-dory? You are going to face opposition. And this church did. There are two ways that Satan can defeat us. One is he tries through persecution and, hey, guess what? He loses every time. Persecution doesn't help him. But more so, folks... Apathy 
easily kills the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a slow death we don't realize. But this is our model. Here are the disciples. Why the reason, what is the reason why the world is at conflict with us? Why the Hindus hate us, Muslims hate us? You think, why cannot everyone get along? The reason, you know why? Our stand for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These pastors I'm talking about, that are being hurt, I was hated as because I was a Christian growing up. I didn't have real friends. God gave me a lot of friends because his promise is true. If we just shut up and never take the name of Jesus and preach this glorious gospel, the society will love us. They'll be friends with us. The reason for the conflict, reason for the battle is because we stand for one name. As they said, there is no name under heaven. Acts 4.12, right? Where the, you know, when they're brought before the standard. There's no name under heaven among men whereby we could be saved except the name of Jesus. There is no other savior. Show me one who has paid the price for my redemption, who was buried and who rose again from the dead. Show me there is no one. And therefore, the reason is, stop preaching Christ. Stop standing for the truth. We'll let you off. The reason. What was the response? They were threatened. Like my mom was put in prison. They were put in custody overnight. And then later, the, the Sanhedrin, the leaders, the chief priests, they tell them, they threaten them not to speak in the name of Jesus. You know, just like it happened to us, just like it happens to all of us today. Look at the response, what they did. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They were threatened. They were sent back. The whole society is coming against them to defeat them. Guess what they do? They don't pack up the bags. They don't cover under pressure and hide. They go to their own companions. And I want to tell you folks, aren't you glad you're a part of a church that can come together and kneel down and as you pray, you're praying for one another in your Sunday school. We need, we cannot live this Christian life alone. We need fellowship. We need company. We need people to come alongside and undergird us and keep us going. We need to be part of a living body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm glad you're a part of this. And when they came together, listen to this. Yes, the circumstances around them is bad. Their anger is raging against them. Seems like everything is hopeless, just like we felt. But guess what? They did not turn their eyes to their circumstances. They began to turn their eyes to their God. And they prayed and said, Lord, you are God. That word, Lord, you are God, is just, uh, you know, you see it only a couple of times in the Bible. That word means, Lord, You are the absolute master. You are the one who is in charge. Not Obama, not Osama, not the Senate, not the Congress, not the stock market. 
You are in charge. Not the doctor, not the neighbors, not the school system, not the political system. You are in charge. And they had the audacity to trust God and put the trust, fix it on Him in trying times. Every one of us has battles, folks. Right now, there are fears about your future, fear about your health. Your mind is the biggest battleground. I fight my battles. You're never going to stop it until the final victory. And we all get together on the other side. We're going to have a battle. Listen to me. The devil is going to fight us. He's going to put fears in our heart. What's, what's your health going to be? How are your children growing up to be? And how the economic system is going to be? I want to tell you about the economy. This is what I said two years ago. I keep saying. 90% of all funds of any mission organization around the world goes out of this great nation. Of the generous and good people of this nation who love the kingdom. God has to bless America, according to us. Our children pray, skipping their breakfast. Our pastors fast every once a week. They cry out for this nation because they know where their blessings come from. God has to turn this country around because it's not just freedom that is dependent upon it. The future of missions. These children, these pastors, we would be totally shut down if it's done for this great nation of America. God is using it. It's not us. God is using us. He's blessed us so that we can be a blessing to the nations. That's exactly, I mean, you can argue this and they will try to this say, this and that. That's the only reason I see with my perspective as an outsider. And the only bastion of Christianity in the Western world. And that's why the devil hates us. There is a spiritual battle going on. And those battles in those conflicts you face. Sometimes we try to fight our own battles. Remember, we got to be reminded, the battle belongs to the Lord. He has plainly told us. And there is nothing new I'm saying. I mean, just we need to be reminded if not, every Sunday. We alone cannot fix the problem. And if we fix one, another going to arise. The secret to victory is realizing, understanding, there is a God who is on the throne, who never changes, who is on our side. Every hair you have in your head is counted. Some of us have more, others have less. But it is counted. When is the last time you... Picked up your child you loved so much and counted every hair. You're not that detailed. He's that detailed. Let's turn our hearts and Lord, we trust you. And guess what? <laughs> they quote a scripture. You know, they, they pray. And prayer is not a defense. Prayer is not covering under pressure. Prayer is the best offense. In prayer... We move away from, I'm not saying you don't do anything. God gives us wisdom when we pray. I'm doing everything possible to change my world out there that possibly I can. We got to do everything possible. But prayer reminds us that there is someone who is powerful, who is the absolute master that we can turn to. And they began to quote scriptures. They, you know, in that section we read, They're quoted from Psalm 2. What are they saying, Lord? 
You've heard their threats, but, but guess what? The nations rage and people come against the church, that is the individual Christian, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They cannot win. Because the victory is ours. When they read Psalm 2.8, watch this, they know that this persecution is going to be temporary. That God has already given them victory because he has promised the nations to his son. Psalm 2.8, ask of me, he tells his son. I will give the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. When I walk into that village and that water, I, I preach the gospel for the first time. I'm going there and declaring God's kingdom in that village. Among Hindus who have never heard, worshipping idols all the time. And now they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't go in my own strength. I know there is every, in every nation, tribe and tongue, God has his people. Watch this. When we pray, and here's the problem. Let me be very honest. All of us. Our prayer is limited to the dinner table. Five minutes, three minutes, two minutes. God bless me, bless the food. Do we go beyond that? Do you quote scriptures in your prayers? They quoted scriptures. This Lord, hey, watch this. Lord, you have said in your word. It's, it's not, they're not telling God you have a bad memory. Have you forgotten us? Don't you feel like that, Lord? Have you forgotten us? Prayer and quoting the promises of God is not to remind God who is forgetful, who has promised he'll say he'll do this, and he's not doing that, and God, look at me, you're not doing it. Prayer is to remind us of his promises. That he has promised precious promises in his word. 365, as you know, times and more, fear not. And in prayer, you're reminded that there are precious promises that you remind yourself in the time of crisis that there is provision in Christ. There is healing in Christ. There is strength in the Lord. There is all eternal love that is available. I've loved you with them. All those scriptures come to mind when you pray. They pray. Let me go quickly. That's the response. That should be our response. And they prayed. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on the threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. See, they're asking for boldness. And guess what? That is the right thing to do. They're not asking for political status, political power, or anything. They're saying, Lord, give us boldness to stand for you. Verse 31. Look at the result. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. In the raging conflict, John MacArthur says the church was at a crossroads. All of church history, future church history, hinged upon Acts chapter 4. Because Jesus has commanded in Acts 1.8, Go ye and make, be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem. Hey, it's our business to mind our Jerusalem. But don't you forget your Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yes, they were faithful. They started where they were. And as they were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his name, they come under tremendous opposition. They're at a crossroads. How are they going to respond? All of future hinged upon their response. And I'm glad they responded right. They asked for boldness. And God gave them boldness. Let me take you quickly through the history, advance of the church through history. 
The gospel, thank God, from Acts chapter 4, the gospel and the church did not stop under tremendous conflict and opposition. It continued to advance. God calls the destroyer of the church, Saul, and turns him into the greatest apostle as he takes the gospel, he and Peter, all the way through Rome. And when the gospel gets to Rome again, whenever the church thrives, the church is going to be under attack. Watch out. It's not when we are dying, it's when we are growing that opposition comes. If you are maintaining the status quo, the devil says, all right, you know, I don't care. It's when you want to do something from the Lord, opposition comes from all the way. And in Rome, they started getting persecuted. The first three centuries, under uh, starting from Nero to, to, to Diocletian and all these emperors that wanted to squash Christianity and brought all kinds of persecution, children fed to the beast. You have heard the stories of how Christians were mistreated and hurt, and all that they could have done to stop the opposition was to say, hey, we quit taking the name of Jesus, but I'm glad they stayed firm. But you know what? The Lord Jesus is behind his church. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. We have the final victory. The church stood strong in the midst of tremendous persecution. Again reminded that we grow in adversity and we die in apathy. The church continues to thrive so much so that they enter the Roman Empire, adopt Christianity as their official religion. Which is not always good, because apathy sets in when you are in power. And over the years... The church lost the gospel, but come the 15th century, uh, in the 16th century, God raises the man because he will continue his work and the church will continue to advance against all opposition, against all odds. God raised Martin Luther who challenged the church to come back to the basics of God's word, to come back to faith alone in the word of God and not the rituals and the man-made traditions. And here becomes, there starts a reformation and we are all part of the, the result of one Martin Luther taking a stand. From Acts 4 to the 16th century, there are people making a stand. The gospel that we have received today came with a great price. It's not cheap. There's been too much martyr's blood and people have struggled and been persecuted to get the gospel to us. Begin the 18th century, 17th century, 18th century, enlightenment came in. And people began to question the gospel. People like Voltaire began to say the Bible is going to be outdated and, and Christianity is going to die because it's just made up stories. And, and guess what? He was in, he's in for a shock today, right? The gospel continues to advance in the midst of that. Revivals start breaking out under Jonathan Edwards and, and Charles Finney, whom I was named after. And then it goes on and, you know, when America Christianity begins to die in America. God picks a man from the mountains of North Carolina and picks him up and says, Hey, I'm going to change America and bring a revival. You cannot stop the advance of the gospel. Jesus has the final victory. The church has the final victory. Going back to the 1998. My mom spent overnight in police station. We were at a crossroads. What are we going to do? Are we going to go back to the south and have a comfortable life and we had opportunities to come and live here as, you know, God opened the door. Will we stay faithful? In the morning, after spending overnight, I'm going back to the story I started. My mom was released on medical grounds. She came back. We all hugged her and uh, she said, children, don't be afraid. We're going to continue to serve Jesus. And God will see us through. And, and, uh, and we had, uh, long story short, Sunday morning and and we had kept about all our American guests two days under hotel arrest. You know, we asked them not to leave because our first priority is to bring you back safe. I remind you again and again. 
and Pastor Shannon was there, and Dr. Bill Bennett was there, and he, they were in the rooms, and I had to preach reluctantly. More people got saved. Sunday morning, we had a service three and a half hours long. Most Baptists would not have survived. <laughs> You're already looking at your watches, and I took a watch for no reason. People were testifying. These pastors who had broken bones came on their crutches and began to say, and their wives were with them. We asked them to go home. After we treated them and rest, they said, we're not going to go. We're not going to cover under pressure. We came here to the conference. We're going to finish it. And here they are on their crutches saying, thank God we've accounted worthy to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're even willing to lay down our life with Jesus. I want to tell you, I mean, Dr. Bennett said, I've read Acts, I've preached Acts, but I've never witnessed Acts right before my own eyes. And what they meant for evil in 1998, God turned it for good. The last eight years, folks, the last eight years has been the most exciting time of the ministry. Over 1,500 churches, over nearly 1,000 children. All these things happened with 100 odd churches that we had back then in 1998. God began to move. And here we are today. The persecution did not prevail. The church has prevailed. God has given us 12 key states in northern India. This is an unprecedented time. That God has opened the doors for the gospel. We have churches and national church planners and children in this 12 of the most hostile states, the heart of the 1040 window. God has put us there for a reason. And therefore, we want to do everything possible, go everywhere possible and stir up people that this is time for God. This may be the worst of times, but this is the best of times for the kingdom. And let's take the gospel to the ends of the earth. One of our pastors just recently, I don't know if Brother Jared was there at the conference. He was preaching in his church, 50-odd people. The Hindus came. They have gangs going everywhere. Pulled the pastor out, began to beat him. Said, take the name of our God in your mouth. He said, no, I only worship Jesus. He's my God and Savior. Dragged him to the temple, beat him for an hour. Took him to the prison, falsely accusing him of giving you know, social help to Hindu people. Because all, these are all first-generation churches. They've never had any church or any Christians in that community. So he's arrested. He's put in prison. He's a little discouraged. His kind of feet is paralyzed. He cannot walk. He drags himself on the floor. But we have nearly 500 churches in that area. They rallied around. Just like the book of Acts. When they were persecuted, they came to their own companions. They rallied around this pastor. They began to visit him in droves. And guess what? The jailer took notice. He said, you know, his name is Bansipal. He says, Bansipal? Who are you? We never had so many people come and see a criminal inside the prison. He says, I'm a preacher of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't teach to ha- teach hatred to anybody. And he began to share the gospel with him. The jailer says, guess what? Bansipal, while you are here, I want you to take a Bible study in the prison. He starts a Bible study there. Long story short, over uh, three Naxalites. This, those are local in a communist Maoist, and there are many of our mission places. We uh, face a lot of danger in those areas that were in that prison, got saved. Bansipal gets out of the prison after the 18th day, keeps preaching the gospel. He has lost some of his hearing. Uh, still, his body aches because of the bad beating he got. This time in January, when I, when I visited him, Bansipal says, you know, guess what, ha- what happened, pastor? I'm, I'm preaching to more places. We have 12 more villages that we have covered. One of the villages... Uh, you know, a man di- died and, you know, the villagers get together. They put a wooden pyre and burn dead bodies. He's, he had kind of given blood and had AIDS as a transfusion, he says. And, he, he, you know, the local doctor 
came from a distance, pronounced him dead. They were getting ready for his funeral. The wife called Bansipal and says, why don't you come and pray? So our <laughs> Bansipal, our pastor who was in the prison, comes and they start praying. And this man who was pronounced dead uh, after a day and a half in coma or whatever, God raised him. He just jumped up and was looking all around and said, why are you all here crying for me? And said, we were getting ready for your funeral. Guess what? 275 people got baptized in that village, in that area. I want to tell you, you cannot stop the advance of the gospel. Jesus has the final victory. And now we are at a crossroads, folks, in our nation, as I said, and around the world. Are we willing to make a stand? Are we going to put our priorities right is the big question. What is our heart dreaming for? And I hope today that we will refocus our eyes on the absolute master our sovereign lord and like the disciples in acts chapter 4 and like these pastors that i talked about like my mom will you take a stand as you come to the altar and say in this generation i and my family i don't know about others we will stand firm for jesus and his name and the truth of the gospel let's all stand as the pastors come up I close in prayer. You have the opportunity. You can bring your children with you. You can bring your wife, your husband with you. Let's flood the altar and say, Lord, in our generation, at this critical time in our lives, in the life of our nation, and the future of our nation, and the, and the future of missions around the world, when we stand at a crossroads, when hundreds have opened the doors for the gospel, we stand firm. We will do everything in our power to stay faithful and see that the gospel advances locally and globally. Lord, I pray the Spirit of God will move upon hearts and we will be bold enough. As we come up to the altar, nobody's going to beat us up. You are there to welcome us. And maybe show you that we really mean our commitment as we come to the altar and cry out, if there is anyone that has not received Christ, may they take the hand of the pastor and say, tell me how to know Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name.